Okay, I won't have you turn in your Bibles yet. We're going to have a lot of introductory remarks before we get to the scripture, but we will be looking at the scripture today. What we're going to be talking about today, uh, if we were supposed to put, if we needed to put a title to this message today, it would simply be this, come out from among them, come out from among them. The, the main subject that we're going to look at today, and uh, sometimes this can be very controversial and uh, sometimes hard to understand when we think about the subject of separation. We know that the Bible tells us we are in this world, but we're not of this world. There are certain things that we have to be involved with as far as the world is concerned. We have to work in this world, and we work with people that are not always uh, Christians, and we work with people that certainly don't even like to hear anything about Christ or about salvation. We know that. Many of you have experienced that. But there is uh, this subject of separation that I think a lot of people misunderstand. And that's what we want to look into today. And if you will follow through with me and we'll, have a, we'll ask a lot of questions and we'll answer those questions. But I think it's important for us to understand what separation really means. What does it mean? to be separate from the world, but still we're living in the world. We'll answer those questions. Um, first of all, let's start out by the negative. Let's tell you what separation is not, okay? This is what separation is not. Um, let's refer to some Christians as, uh, let's say, Stuck-up Christianity. You say, well, now, what in the world do you mean by that? Well, that's a person that is thinking that they are better than everybody else and every other Christian. They got all the answers, and you don't have any of them, and you need to straighten up and follow them and listen to them. That's not separation, not according to what the Bible says. We're all sinners saved by grace. Amen? All of us. Some people have their heads in the clouds, uh, in the clouds of pride, and they say things like this. Believe as I believe, no more, no less. Uh, I am right, no one else is. Now, I know you've never run into anybody like that, but I have. Uh, feel as I feel, think as I think. Eat what I eat, drink what I drink. Uh, look as I look, do always as I do, and then and only then will I fellowship with you. That's, that's not what separation is. Uh, separation is not total, non-contact with the world. We live in this world. We have to make contact with this world and people in this world. So separation is not isolation or total non-contact. I think of some religions that have groups of men and perhaps even women that uh, isolate themselves from the world completely, uh, live in places and buildings that uh, uh, they just spend all day reciting memorize prayers and uh, eat and drink and don't go outside of the realms of that and uh, they think that that makes them more holy than anybody else. But separation is not total non-contact with the world. Uh, so where do we draw the line? Where do we draw the line on this idea, this concept, this, I believe, doctrine of separation? That's what we want to get into. Now let me say this. That's a delicate balance. That's a delicate balance. I, I have to admit that to you. There was a book that we had provided from the Sword of the Lord uh, a number of years ago that discussed some issues that weren't necessarily mentioned in the Bible about do this or don't do that, but they referred to as a gray area. 
What, what do we do under certain circumstances with things that are not spelled out specifically about what we are to avoid? It's pretty evident that we are not to be involved with fornication. And we're, to, we're not supposed to be involved with things, uh, other things that the Bible spells out. That's pretty clear. But there's some other things that we have to make a decision as we walk through this, uh, this world. Um, and really, when we say it's a delicate balance, we mean it requires spiritual discipline and spiritual awareness of God's holiness. God is holy. God tells us even in the New Testament to what? Be holy as I am holy. We were discussing yesterday at the men's um, um, Bible study. Boy, we, I think we had a good study yesterday. Man, we were, uh, I, I don't think I did a whole lot of talking at all. I guess I did a little bit more than what I should, but a lot of other men did too. And that was great. That's what that's all about. And we were saying about uh, giving an example of music. Uh, and we said, used the example, I had a cup, I think it was, and I sat this here and I said, this represents God. And then I put a pen here and I said, now, this is God and this is the Christian. We should be as close to God as we can be. And now here, for example, I set something else down and I said, now, this is the world. And we're, we're using the example of music. Here's the world and it's music. Well, now you see, over here's God and the Christian, here's the world. And as, as you think about this, as you go through time in your mind, how the music of the world seemed to be getting worse and worse. And so the world moves from this position now to this position. Well, now the position they left doesn't look so bad. So the Christian moves a little bit closer and they pick up on this music because it's not as bad as what the worldly music is now. And then the world moves here. And this goes for not only music, but dress and everything else. And now this that the world just left, well, now that doesn't look so bad. So now the Christian moves a little closer and picks up on that. But what is happening as the Christian is moving this way and picking up the things that the world left behind, what are they moving away from? father and father. God, who never changes and never moves. And we need to be aware of that And when we make some, it takes some discernment, discernment in this world when we have to make up our mind, are we going to do this or are we not going to do this? That's important for us. And the, and the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, which is given to, to us, and the Word of God helps us to discern certain things. So that's very important. Uh, now, there are three facets of separation. If you keep an outline, you'll want to write this down. Three facets of separation that need to be considered when you're thinking about separation. The first thing that we need to consider, uh, this uh, facet of separation, the first thing is body. In other words, Personal separation from the world, your body. Uh, your key text would be these. Let's look at them together. Uh, let's look, first of all, at uh, 2 Corinthians. We have to go through this uh, quickly. I don't want to keep you too long, but I'm not going to stop in the middle of it and start next week either. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 um, Beginning at verse uh, 15, it says, And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And then look at verse 1 of chapter 7. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, 
Let us cleanse ourselves from all unfilthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And uh, then there's another one I want you to look at, and that is in 1 John chapter 2. Go back to that, right before Revelation there, a couple books. 1 John chapter 2, and let's look at verses 15 through 17. Listen to the words carefully. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away in the lust thereof. But he that, look at the next word there, I have it highlighted in my Bible. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So those are two key verses. And we're going to spend a little time then going through our outlines, explaining the verses that we read, especially in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 through chapter uh, 7, verse 1. Now you say, you might ask this question, what is the word? Well, you say that's that round thing we're on. Yes, I understand that, but I'm talking here when I say the world, I'm talking about the world system. We know, or we should know through studying the Bible, that the Bible makes it very clear that this world system, the way it is now, is headed up, although God is sovereign, this world system is headed up by someone known as Satan. He's very busy in this world and the world system. When I say the world system, I'm talking about the unregenerated people uh, who just so happen to be governed or led by Satan and his ungodly philosophy. By the way, Satan's a lot smarter than you, even as a Christian, but he's not smarter than God and the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's why we need to listen to the Holy Spirit and we need to keep our nose in the book. And uh, be careful about other books that we read that could lead us astray. Uh, worldliness. What is that? Well, that's friendship toward or a desire for. Uh, a wish to uh, be recognized or participate in the world system. Uh, that attitude will eventually lead you into acts that are contrary to what God wants you to do and what path he wants you to walk on. We need to be very careful. Uh, we need to be go, uh, growing closer to the Lord, not closer to the world system, uh, just as we use with that simple illustration here uh, on, uh, on the podium. Uh, yes, we will never reach that state on this earth of uh, a perfect uh, position. Uh, that comes with glorification, and glorification comes after we're out of this world and we're with Jesus. And the only reason that's going to come about is because Satan's going to be out of our way and he's not around to get involved with anything in our lives in eternity. Amen? Won't that be great? He'll be gone. We don't have to worry about that. And we'll be with the Lord forever and forever. Um, well, what does it mean to be separate from the world? I think if you go back to uh, that passage in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 6, it, it shows us in verses uh, 14 to 16, which, which we read, we're told to be separated uh, from the world. We are not to have any close ties or fellowship with those in the world. We're not supposed to be unequally yoked together. That's why when the young ladies, in most cases, of course I have young men coming to me also, and they found their princess, and she's perfect, but most of the time it's a young lady, all oh, pastor, and you can tell. Oh, man, it's this guy that she's talking about that's riding a white horse, Man, he must be, you know, I mean, he must be great. And she tells you how great he is. 
and how wonderful he is. And, and, and the eyes are glowing, and oh, man, you can tell, you know, that this guy must be something else, you know. Uh, he must be a mixture of Hercules and whatever else you want to throw in there. And then all of a sudden you come up with a question. Well, that's nice, dear, uh, but let me ask you a question. Oh, uh, yes, preacher, she's still dreaming. She's still seeing him. Is he saved? The disposition changes sometimes. The look is gone. No. But I can change him. I can change him. Well, sometimes that happens. But most cases, it doesn't happen. There's a change happens. But sad to say, it's a young lady who made a profession of faith. Lots of times that'll do the change from the guy she hooks up with that she became unequally yoked together with. That's what's so careful that you have to be so careful of. You know, here's something else. Let me throw this out to you, too. Now, I know uh, people who have been in business with a partner, and uh, they, uh, one of them got saved and the other one didn't. And, uh, boy, sometimes that can be a little bit of uh, not equally yoked together either. You understand when it comes to making business decisions. There's another reason if you say, oh, preacher, I found, I'm going into business. Oh, well, that's great. That's great. And the preacher's thinking, man, oh, day, that's going to push the old tides up if it's successful. No, I'm kidding. But uh, he wants to go into business with us. Uh, he says, I want to go in business with another, another man. And uh, we think we can really make a go of this. And we're putting equal amounts of money together to get this thing going. Okay. Well, now my question to him would be, is your partner a Christian? Well, if the answer is no, he isn't, I say, well, now, let me tell you something. Uh, there could be trouble with that kind of a unit. You might decide, based on what you believe, you are not going to cut any corners. Are you, you're going to be honest all the time. You're not going to be dishonest at any time. And the one that's not saved might not go that same path. Now you're going to have a conflict. So it's important not to be unequally yoked together in a lot of aspects of life. Amen? Amen. So we need to be careful. Uh, not to be unequally, you shouldn't be unequally yoked. That means no, no fellowship, no sharing, no partnership. No partnership. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Well, what about if, if uh, I remember, preacher, you said... Uh, uh, you and your wife uh, uh, know people who are not saved, and you've had them to dinner, and you help them and all that. What about that? Well, uh, we're very careful in how we unite with them, and it's always this with the purpose of trying to reach them with the gospel. And as long as they're willing to come to dinner or wherever it is, and uh, we talk to them about the gospel, and they're willing to sit down and listen about it, we're going to keep on talking to them. Amen? A little bit different, isn't it? A little bit different. Uh, it, it says in this uh, uh, passage also uh, that we read in verse 14, it says no communion. Well, what's that mean? Well, that means joint fellowship, close participation. Again, the idea of joining together in a business proposition with an unsaved and you're saved. Uh, no concord. What does that mean? Uh, an agreement that is in harmony or is in unison. How about no part, no share, no portion? Uh, uh, what about an agreement? Well, that's a covenant, a contract. You think of the contract between two businessmen. You think of a covenant in a marriage between a man and a woman. There it is. Uh, no agreement. Now, now we answer the second question. The second question is one word. Why? Why? Well, it, the scripture again, as you follow through in this passage, we read in 2 Corinthians. We are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. That's what makes this body the temple of God. So this temple 
ought to look different than all the temples Satan has. That goes in, can we say, how you paint it, how you display it, what you put on it. It's the temple of God. Now, uh, let me clear some things up here so some people don't go out of here with the wrong idea and they, uh, they leave the church because they think I'm talking about a tattoo or something like that. Uh, my dad, before he was saved, was in the Navy. He got tattoos. Uh, he tried to cover them. When he was here at church, he, he seemed to always want to wear long sleeves or a coat because he was embarrassed. Well, it was done. It was done, you know. He did that when he was, uh, uh, before he was saved. He had a tattoo here, a tattoo here, a tattoo here, and a tattoo there. Well, well what are you going to do, tear the skin off? Now, there is a way they say to remove tattoos. Uh, and I have a relative that uh, had the tattoos removed. Uh, man, I don't know that I want to go through that pain. You understand? I might just put a big bandage on it or something. But, uh, you know, that was over and done with, you know. God forgives of anything we do. And I'm not saying tattoo is a sin, but uh, I don't know that I'd want to go around like with some of these people to put tattoos, you know, across their head and, you know, and up their nose and whatever else. But this body if you're a Christian, is the temple of God. We need to take care of it. You know, we also need to take care of it, too. In other words, uh, uh, God's sovereign. He knows when you're going to die. But, you know, you really want to speed up your death by being a glutton and eating nothing but pumpkin pie or blueberry pie and not taking care of your body. You understand what I'm saying? And when you can, and some of us don't do it as much as we, we should, but uh, uh, going to the gym, you don't have to go to the gym. We go to the gym, Mary Ann and I, because we don't have to pay for it. Our health insurance takes care of it. And I say, amen, I'm going. And when they didn't pay for it, we have a treadmill at home. I don't like the treadmill at home because I'm looking at the blank wall and, and it just gets a little boring. I'd much rather go out and walk the streets and the hills and the valleys and, and breathe in the fresh air, Amen. But take care of this body, the temple. Of the whole. I, I used to love to ride bike. I, I'd go out and ride bike, you know, sometimes at least four mile a day. Other times I'd go out 11, 12 mile a day. That's nothing, I know, compared to what some of you do. But take care of the temple of God, which houses the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right. Now, don't forget to get to the gym on Monday. All right. Um, it says... Uh, uh, and also, uh, when you think about a temple, you think of worship, worshiping God. Uh, and, and also, uh, we are God's people. What did we just say about God? He's holy. We should live holy lives to the best of our ability with the help of the Holy Spirit, which lives in that temple of God. That belongs to God. We belong to God now. We're God's people. And then, of course, what is the result of separation from the world? Chapter 17, verse 1 answers that. Uh, Verse 17, verse 17 through chapter 7, verse 1. Chapter 17 brings out the fact purity is required in the presence of God. Purity. We should live pure lives. That's why it's so important for us to be careful what enters the eye gate, the ear gate. You know, I've heard people say, I've been in conversations that I've overheard where somebody will say, yeah, well, you know, uh, on, on the Internet, are you on the Internet? No, I, I, don't, I don't even have a computer. I'm not on the Internet. What? You're not on the Internet? Well, what's the matter with you? I don't want to be on the Internet. 
I don't want to put anything in front of me that I might be tempted to look at the wrong thing. I tip my hat to you. I say amen to you. I don't mock you. (laughs) Although Chuck Harvey has an interesting way of getting rid of TVs, I tip my hat to him. He don't even want a TV. He didn't want a TV in his house after somebody came on the boob tube and cursed in front of his two little children that were sitting watching it. He took it out in the street in Somerdale and shot it with a shotgun. I'm not recommending you do that, okay? Purity. Purity. You know, you know yourself. Maybe you have a weakness or you don't want to get involved with having to worry about falling into something impure. So you decide, that isn't for me. And get rid of it. You're not bragging about it. You're not condemning anybody else that has it. But for you, that's the way you want it. That's the way you're going to do it. And amen to that. Amen? Amen. Purity. We see purity. Uh, Verse 18 brings out the fact that we should have a close relationship with our Heavenly Father. We should have a close relationship with our Heavenly Father. And then verse uh, 1 of chapter 7. We need to have our holiness preserved and keep our spiritual integrity intact. We can't be sinless. If you think you're sinless, I want to take your temperature because you're not here. But we should be, here's a word that some people misunderstand too, you should be and you can be blameless. Because the Bible tells us that. You know, our, uh, I think our uh, president, who I hope you pray for on a regular basis, along with the senators and the House of Representatives, and the governor and all the government that's around us here in Pennsylvania too, hope you pray for them. But he made a statement the other day, I don't know if I'm quoting it correctly, but, but here's one thing. When an accusation is made against anyone, That never goes away. Even though it's an accusation, people still remember. And some people equate it to, you're guilty. You were accused of, so therefore you're guilty. What happened to innocent until proven guilty? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And, uh, but we can be blameless. But uh, maybe, maybe we ought to be careful if we want to be blameless what we say in private, even to another man that happens to be recording what you just said, and now it's out for the whole world to hear. You understand where I'm going here. Gonna be blameless then, be pure in all aspects, in public and in private. All right. close relationship with our Heavenly Father and have, uh, to have our holiness preserved and, and keep our spiritual integrity intact. Now remember, we said there are three facets of separation that need to be considered. Now we come to number two. We already covered number one. Here's number two. Ecclesiastical separation from false doctrine and false teachers. Ecclesiastical separation from church, false church doctrine and false teachers. You say, well, that's a hard word for me to write out and spell. Is there anything I can put uh, in its place that I can understand that better? Well, do this. Put church. Ecclesiastical has to do with church. The gathering here, us, this group of believers. Um, Our text here we want to look at, I think, that are important. The first one, since we're already in 2 Corinthians and we're close to Timothy, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, Let me see. And we want to look at uh, verses 20 and 21. 1 Timothy 6. 20 and 21. 
O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Now let me just spend a little time. You know, you know, every time I read a verse, I find three messages in that verse. So I really fight to keep myself confined to what I'm trying to preach here on separation. Anybody else ever have that problem? Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, this here, and oppositions of science falsely so called. Now remember, he's talking to a young preacher boy here. Many years ago, when it came to the forefront about Darwin, and that he came up with this idea, and I'm sure it was before him too, but really became in prominence in, in America and other parts of the world uh, that we are aware of, where Darwin came up with a theory of evolution about the millions and billions of years. Well, you know what the Bible, some Bible believers decided? Well, now how are we gonna answer that? I mean, how are we gonna, how are we gonna respond? I mean, these, these people are scientists, they, and they're, they're talking to the people, and how can we explain you know, I mean, we know that it's, you know, I mean, God said he created it in six days. And then, then these here people started to think, you know, that, uh, uh, that, that thought they were theologians. Well, you know, those days, maybe they weren't literal days. Maybe them days represented millions or billions of years. So maybe we have to come up with this new theology that's called theistic evolution then we can answer the millions and billions of years, but still stay true to the word of God. Now, I only got one word to that that explains that false teaching. There it is. This earth was created in six literal 24-hour days. I don't care what Darwin and J. Fluvius Fluffyhead says. That's the way it is. I believe it. God says it. He teaches it. I'll go with it. Amen? So I'm not going to accept that uh, where it says here, science falsely so-called. I'm going to stick with the word of God. There you are. Uh, then another reference, Romans. I know uh, uh, we'll try to get you out here in decent time, but it might go a little bit uh, longer than normal. All right? And if you have to leave early, go ahead. Uh, somebody closer to the door will write your name down. But, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, okay? Sometimes people have to go to work, uh, you know, near lunchtime. Uh, Romans chapter 16, look at verses 17 and 18. This is Paul again writing. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them. Did you get that? Mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own bellies, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. There you are. Well, now, what in the world could you be talking about, or what, what could Paul be talking about? Now, dearly beloved, we are gathered here together this morning. And I just want you to know that God loves you. And you just do the best that you can. And let us sprinkle you every now and then. And you'll be all right when you get to heaven. God bless you. I'll send you on your home. I'll send you home. That ain't true. You're a sinner in need of a Savior. The Savior is Jesus. You need to admit you're a sinner, ask him to forgive you, come into your heart, save you, and receive the free gift of salvation. That's what you need to do. Now, we will get you wet, but that's after salvation. Nothing to do with salvation. Amen? And we'll really get you wet. We'll put you under, all right? Uh, we'll get to that a little bit later, too, on separation. Uh, now... Uh, 
there's some other references. Let me give them to you. Jot them down and read them on your own. I'd love to turn to them, but you know I'll get bogged down. Galatians 1, 8, and 9. And 2 John, verses 9 to 11. A false teacher is one who professes to be a Christian, but endeavors to mislead by teaching and preaching false doctrine. That is a false teacher. Um, now, how far do we take this? Well, it takes spiritual discernment. Where do you get spiritual discernment? Well, coming to church, gathering together, uh, studying the word together, listening to the preacher as he preaches from the word and, and uh, teaches you what the word says, about you listening to the Holy Spirit who will lead and guide you into all the truth. Not only do you come here to learn the Bible, you also studied at home. Uh, some people I know uh, in the past, they make notes. They go home and they use the preacher's notes in devotion for the week. And they study off of that. Well, that's great. Help yourself. Uh, sometimes, some people, uh, you don't grasp things as fast as others. Uh, you know what you do then? If, and, and you can't write fast either because the preacher, he talks too fast and, and sometimes he's not clear on where he is in the points. And, go over there to Brenda and say, Brenda, can you give me a CD so I can go home and listen to the preacher's message today four or five times so I can get this? And Brenda will say, I sure will, and she'll make it up for you. She'll give it to you and you'll say, how much is that? And she'll say, that's free of charge. Take it home and listen to it and study it all you want. Amen. Isn't that right, Brenda? All right, there you go. So, um, in some things, we can have differences of opinion that doesn't affect our fellowship. Well, you say, now, what do you mean there? One is church government. We can have different opinions about church government and still fellowship together. So, give me an example. We believe here that there are two offices in the church government, pastor and deacon. I have a brother-in-law that throws in a third one. He has a board of elders. Usually those elders are made up of more mature men. A lot of them are pastors. By the way, I believe that's what it's referring to in the New Testament when it refers to an elder. It's referring to a pastor. That's another name for a pastor. But he has uh, deacons and he has elders. I, I think uh, there's churches around here that have deacons, elders, and a pastor. Well, I can fellowship with them. I'm not going to have any big deal with that. Uh, you just don't come here if you believe in elders, deacons, and pastors and try to beat into my congregation that you're right about elders, deacons, and pastors, and I'm wrong. We'll fellowship together, no problem. Here's another one for you. Uh, church ordinances. Now, there's only two. Communion and baptism. But here's how uh, I'll fellowship with you if you're a little di different than me on this. We have communion once a month. Some churches have communion every Sunday. Well, help yourself. Uh, some people, uh, some pastors, when they baptize you, uh, uh, here, here when I baptize you, I, I, I take you in, in the water and I tell you to cross your arms in the front and, and I put you under the water and I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and bring you up. Other ones, they have you cross your hands and they uh, grab a hold of it and they say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Well, they dunk you under three times. I'd be a little nervous there about drowning, but you know, that's them. Okay, I fellowship with you. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to condemn you for doing it three times. I mean, you know, you want to do it three times backwards and three times forward, help yourself. I'll fellowship with you. You get any idea here? Some things that, you know, I'm not going to split over that. I'm going to think it's crazy, but I'm not going to split over it, okay? Uh, in the fundamental issues of the faith, there is no room for compromise. What are the fundamentals of the faith? 
Let me run down a list very quickly. This I don't compromise on. If you don't line up with me and the Bible on these things, it's bye-bye. We're not going to fellowship together. The full inspiration and inerrancy and authority of the Word of God. I believe it. Not going to change it. The virgin birth of Christ. Christ's deity and perfect humanity. Christ's absolute sinlessness. He never sinned. Salvation only by the atoning death of Christ on the cross. The blood of Christ. His resurrection. His personal return. The reality of a literal heaven and hell. I'm not changing on that. You don't believe that? We're separated. You go your way, I'll go my way, and I'll pray that you get saved soon. Why avoid false teachers? Uh, we can't turn to this because of time now, but jot it down. 1 Timothy 4, 6. The doctrinal integrity of the church must be maintained. I don't want false teaching in here. I went to a school, uh, an institute, and I don't know where, where this guy was coming from. He was right on everything else, but every time it came to Christmas, he would find a passage in the book of Jeremiah, and he would give us the same Christmas message every time when us fellows were in the institute about the, the uh, uh, bad reasons why we shouldn't have Christmas trees. And we would all sit there, and if we didn't do it out loud or dramatically like I'm going to do it now, we were doing it inside. Because oh. he's taking the scripture out of context that is talking basically about a totem pole that people were worshiping and equating it to a Christmas tree. But he never refused any Christmas gifts we gave him at Christmas time. As long as it wasn't under a tree, I guess. All right. Uh, now, uh, so doctrinal integrity of the church is very important. That must be maintained. Here's another thing. Here's other verses, too. I'll give you. Jot them down. Acts 20, 28, 2 Peter 2, verses 1 and 2. To protect God's people from error. To protect God's people from error. I don't want you to be led astray and be led down a wrong path. Uh... This goes back quite a few years. The gentleman is dead and gone now, but uh, he'd even joined the church. And all of a sudden, he disappeared after he joined. And I found out one of the reasons is because we had this wreath up here. And there was somebody he came across that was preaching on the Internet that put some evil to having a wreath of that kind in the church. And there was all kinds of other things that he came up with that he had to leave the church. I said, give me the scripture. Well, well, this guy, Dr. So-and-so, I don't care what Dr. So-and-so says. Well, we have this book we want to give you. And it was yeah, tw 30 pages long, and it was highlighted everywhere. I said, I read that nuts book. Just throw that in the treasure. I already read it. I know. He don't know what he's talking about. One a time years ago, I got a book, 800 pages long, that was explaining to me the falsehood of eternal security or believing that once you're saved, you're saved. 800 pages. Do you know what I did? I didn't throw it away. But just to show people how stupid other false teachers can be, I put the skull and crossbones on the front of it and it's in my library. 800 pages of nothing but taking scripture out of context to prove a point and his doctrine that isn't there. Foolishness. Foolishness. Uh, as long as I'm in this pulpit, my duty under the guidance of God is to keep you from falling into error. And I'm going to do that as long as I'm here. And if I fall into error, 
You just tell Dave to go get a big stick, pretty, pretty, pretty hefty one, tie my hands and legs to it, and carry me out that door and drop me on the curb when I start teaching or preaching false doctrine to God's sheep. Okay, let's move on. Uh, then uh, we come to number three. Remember, three facets. Here's number three. Spiritual separation from disobedient Christians. Now, did you get the wording there? Spiritual separation from disobedient Christians. I'm not going into where we're supposed to stone them. I'm not going to go into where we're supposed to run them off, although if they don't repent, I guess that's what you have to do. But follow with me closely about this part of spiritual separation from disobedient Christians. I'll give you these verses to jot down. Very important that you go home and you read these and study them on your own. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 to 13. That is one. Let me explain that to you very quickly, what that's talking about. It's talking about a church, the church at Corinth, that knew that there was a young man that was having a relationship with either a stepmother or even a mother, and the church was walking around with blinders on, and they weren't doing anything about it to correct it. And in that scripture, Paul says, you get that straightened out. You ask that young man to repent, or he's going to end up dead. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 to 13. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, and also verses 14 to 15. Matthew 18, verses 15 to 18. If you don't get these references, come on up. I'll give you the notes. Mary and I'm copying for you. And Titus 3, 9 and 10. Disobedient Christian. What is that? A professing Christian who intentionally refuses to modify some aspect of his or her conduct to conform to the clear teaching of Scripture. I wrote it out so y'all wouldn't forget it. Let me read it again. A disobedient Christian is a professing Christian who intentionally refuses to modify some aspect of his or her conduct to conform to the clear teaching of the Scripture. In other words, I'm saying someone who's a Christian and willfully sins and continues to do it even after they are confronted. And the Bible tells us to confront a brother or sister who we know is living in open sin. We're told to do that. Now, what's the key elements in this type of separation? Well, first of all, every effort, listen to this, every effort must be made to restore and revive a rebellious Christian because that's what that is. They're rebellious. We are never to stop loving them. They're not an enemy. They're rebellious. But that's against God they're rebelling. And we are to pray for them. It doesn't say anything about taking them out in the parking lot and stoning them or hanging them or beating them up. Doesn't say anything about that. We are to receive them back into fellowship when they repent. You get it? That's pretty clear. That's pretty clear. But you you would be surprised how many people don't understand that. And when a Christian sins, the first thing you want to do is chop off their head. Well, let me follow you around for a week. When you don't know I'm there, let's see what we can find. Why this type of separation? Well, to preserve the testimony of the church before the world. Did you get that? To 
preserve the testimony of the church before the world. 1 Peter 2.12. To keep an erring Christian from influencing others to participate in the same sin. That's 1 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7, Galatians 5, 9. To set an example so others will desire to be obedient to God and his word. 1 Timothy 5, 20. And of course, to bring repentance into the life of the sinning Christian. To repent, bring them back into fellowship. Here's the conclusion, and we're done. I know I went a little over time. I will try to uh, give you that time back maybe tonight. I'm not making any promises, but we'll see. Two things I want us to wrap up this with, to wrap this up with. We, we need to get and maintain a hatred for the things God hates and a fervent love for the things that God loves. And next, we need to stick with each other and be accountable to one another to keep us on the right path that God has put us on. Not to look for every little thing that we can come up to somebody and say, Aha! I caught that! Not talking about that. Talking about to do it in the right attitude. If there's a sin that needs to be dealt with. Loving. We are brothers and sisters. I had brothers and I had one sister. My brothers and I, uh, sometimes you would think that we were half killing each other when we'd get uh, out in the backyard. But you let somebody come along and pick on one of my brothers, and they got the rest of the family, including my sister, to deal with. That's the way it ought to be in Christian circles, too, and in the church. Amen? Amen. Now, I hope that everybody understands this, because it's a very important doctrine. If, if, you, if you didn't get any of this, or you missed something in the notes, Marianne will copy all the notes I have here and give it to you. Uh, if you want a CD, Brenda will give that to you. No problem at all. If you want the notes and the CD and a picture, $39.95, we'll get the picture. Scott will take it for me. And you're on your way, okay? Very important doctrine. Very important doctrine. We hope, I hope that everybody got it. Amen? Amen. Let's bow in prayer.